When you're at that breaking point where you're like, I'm going to fucking end it all and then get a second shot at life, I didn't have anyone to answer to. So first time I sat down and actually thought, what do I want to do? What do I want to do without giving a fuck about what anyone else thought I needed to do? And that was a really powerful moment. You know, I knew I didn't know what I wanted to do per se, but I knew what I was drawn towards and, and I knew what was missing. My name is Johnny Elsasser, and I'm a former Special Operations U.S. Army Ranger and Tactical Commander to the U.S. Ambassador's Protective Detail. I have seen the struggle even the most hardened men have faced when they combat their inner demons, and I am here to shine a light on those struggles to show that no man is exempt from adversity and internal pain. Men from all walks of life share their stories of hardship, darkness, and perseverance so that every man knows that whatever he is going through, he is not alone evolution for men begins now this is a soul fire production hey everyone welcome to today's episode we have kyle kingsbury on with us he is an amazing human if you don't know who he is he was a former ufc fighter i used to watch him uh when he started in the ufc and just a brilliant brilliant tough fighter but now he's transitioned to a lot of different things in the world today and i think you're going to get that from this podcast um he's an amazing amazing man in this world but he's connected with nature he's also connected more with himself spiritually and in depth with plant medicine he's got the kyle kingsbury podcast, which is a really, really awesome podcast. And he also has his ability to give you guys a sacred hunt, which is also something of importance that I think is very powerful. So on top of that, we talk a lot about and what I enjoyed a lot of was the connection to more of this energetic space that we hold in this world and how we kind of can have a different conversation about how we interact with the universe, how we interact with our environments from something a little different from just the material aspects. So really fun episode to dive deep with Kyle Kingsbury. And I know you guys are going to enjoy this. So I'll see y'all around the corner. Hey, everyone want to take a quick second here and let you know about my new book, Design the Man Within. It is all about getting the everyday man the tools he needs to start becoming a better version of himself, but also becoming a man who loves himself and impacts the people around him positively. Go ahead to designthemanwithin.com and get your copy today. I am very proud of this book and it was the book I needed years ago when I started my journey. And so I hope that it can be that door opening book for every man out there to start his own personal journey with tools and tips that I've used to help grow through some of the darkest times in my life to become somebody who looks at the man in the mirror and loves who he sees. So make sure you head over to designthemanwithin.com and get your copy today. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Art of Masculinity. Today, we have freaking stone cold killer turned into farmer and sacred hunter and men's support system and coach. Like, I am so excited to have you on here, bro. You have such a wide range within your life of the man that you've been and the man that you are. It's going to be really fun to dive into it. I got Kyle Kingsbury with me today, guys. How you doing, brother? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, brother. I'm really excited. We've been connected through multiple people and it's been a long time coming to have you on the show. So, so grateful to have you on here and excited to dive into 
all the stuff you got going on today, it really, it's really exciting for me to see a man with your background leading the life that he's leading nowadays. Cause I think it's something that a lot of men can look up to and see how they can remain that savage in their life, but still be this heart centered dude. And I think that's something you bring to the game, like really well from what I know about you and what I've heard about you from, from mutual friends. So that'll be a lot of fun, but wanted to start first by just saying that, like, obviously back in the day, you were a high, high level MMA fighter competed for quite a bit of time and hit the UFC card early on, man. I wanted to dive into a little bit off the bat of what got you started down that path in your life to then now bringing you to where you are today. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had, Football was my dream growing up. I started at eight years old, didn't really care much about anything else. If I did something else, it was just to make me better at football. So all wrestling that I did in high school and junior high was just to get me better at football. And, you know, weightlifting I loved, but it was really just for football. So everything I did kind of circled around that. I walked on to Arizona State for my final two years and sat the bench. And that was a really hard fucking time for me. Not because I thought I deserved the starting position. I know some of the guys that started ahead of me didn't go pro. And then one of the guys who, Jimmy Verdon, is a good buddy, did go pro. He ended up going to the New Orleans Saints and playing for a few years. Um, so there was no hard feelings about that, but it did suck to end my career watching other people play. You know, like I had been good enough to always to have been an all-star my whole life. And then now I got to fucking sit down and watch and cheer on the guys. Yeah. And, I had, you know, Arizona State was the number one party school in the nation during that time. I was on all the bad drugs, uh, just partying and having fun and not realizing, you know, I had no idea what health and wellness or any of these things were. You know, I was eating fucking Krispy Kreme in a pint of of heavy cream just to keep my weight up, you know, just no clue, no clue about any of this stuff. And um, when it ended, it was one of the most depressed times of my life because I had no fucking wherewithal around diet. I was taking... And, you know, Coke to stay up, Xanax to go to sleep and, and just drinking way too much. And, you know, that, that yo-yo of chemically happy, chemically sad, and, and also never having really dealt with any of the shit that happened when I was a kid. Like I hadn't taken a look at it. I hadn't been to therapy, but it, none of that mattered. I hadn't really, really worked on any of it. Um, it was a really hard time. And I, did, I knew I didn't want to graduate. I didn't give a fuck about what job would take me with, with some shit degree in basket weaving. You know, it was a Bachelor of Interdisciplinary <laughs> Studies literally a bachelor where two minors equals one major. And my whole, oh. the whole, the whole six months I had, you know, through my, the last part of my senior year was taking classes on how, how I would, I had a whole fucking semester class on how I would approach employers, possible employers, uh, interviews, why my two, two minors equal one major was better than one major. Like why my oh, fucking yeah. basket weaving degree mattered and was actually better than people that hadn't failed or flunked out of fucking business school or other schools and were able to finish and follow through on what they actually went to college for. That was comical. I was like, that's a, it's, it's a bold faced lie. I'm not going to fucking lie to myself. It's not better. Number one, number two, I changed my degree so many times to stay eligible for football. That's fucking why I went to school. So I couldn't live the hypocrisy any longer. And I had a really dark, depressed time in my life. And then after you know pulling out of that, we had a suicide attempt, and I pulled out of that suicide attempt. On the other side, was sober for the first time, and what that led to for me was actually removing all of the periphery. So, like any idea, any box that I had set up mentally around what life was supposed to look like, all of it fucking vanished in that moment. Because when you know when when 
when you're at that breaking point where you're like, I'm going to fucking end it all and you mean it and it's not, you know, a cry for help and you actually try it and then get a second shot at life. I didn't have anyone to answer to, you know, all I had to do was like, so first time I sat down and actually thought, what do I want to do? What do I want to do without giving a fuck about what anyone else thought I needed to do? And that was a really powerful moment. You know, I knew I didn't know what I wanted to do per se, but I knew what I was drawn towards and, and I knew what was missing. And one of the things that was missing was a sense of camaraderie when I trained. I loved being an athlete. I loved having a hundred guys in the locker room staring at me, shouting when I'm coming up from a back squat, you know, like you don't get that at 24 hour fitness. It's like masturbating dry with no fucking porn. Like it was just one, one was the real thing. And the other thing was not the real thing. And so I got into mixed martial arts training just because I wanted to scratch that itch. Like, Hey, let me go do something challenging with people. I love fighting as a kid, um, as a fan and as a combatant on in street fights. And I didn't think I wanted to be a professional fighter, but I knew like this might be able to be a way to scratch that itch where I can do something cool. I learned something new. And, um, and in doing that, I get to meet badass people that I get to, you know, vibe with and, and, and actually care about. And what was cool is one of the guys who ran a local gym, um, he also ran Rage in the Cage, which was a, a low level professional fighting organization in Arizona. And I was still in Arizona at the time. And so I fought in that. He's like, look, dude. You're big, you're tall, you're handsome, you're athletic. Get one pro fight for me. If you win, keep going. If you don't win, you can say you fucking fought pro once. And I was like, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good line you got there. And um, so I did. I won my first two fights in under 30 seconds. Wow. And I was like, fuck, all right. I might, I might start taking this seriously. And then my, my third fight I won, but it went to decision. I was like, no, nah, I need to get serious about this. I'm going to do this again. And so um, I was actually just texting my, one of my first coaches, a JKD guy named Vince Perez-Mazzola awesome fucking person. I learned a lot from, he had me punch a piece of paper hanging, hanging in his garage, only jab, only jab for fucking two weeks. Oh, wow. So my left arm was numb, right? It was like old school shit. He trained under Danny DeSanto, who was Bruce Lee's main guy for, for Jeet Kune Do. And, uh, and I had to cut that piece of paper. I couldn't learn a new punch until I could fucking slice that paper in half. And from there, the very next fight I had, I knocked the dude out with a jab. It was a one, two, one. So I put a little wow. extra, but I was like, holy shit, coach, you fuck, your shit works, right? <laughs> so it was, it was really empowering to start. You know, like there were levels where I could grab onto someone and say like, uh, the first time I learned actually what I was doing and applied it, it worked, you know? And then I had a strength coach um, in MMA who, 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 you know, New Yorker guy, he's like, you fought a lot. And I was like, fuck you talking about, you know, like, what, what, you don't say that to another dude in the gym. So what am I fucking part? And he's like, no, you fought a lot. you got an intolerance. And I was like, huh? So he asked me if I'd read a book. And I said, I was done. I'm never going to read again. I'm fucking done with school. I'm not reading books. <laughs> a lot of my friends still hold that, that, that agreement, which is a fallacy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he showed me flatten your abs forever video from Paul check. And right there, I was like, yeah, I want to get fucking shredded. And I watched this video and it's all on gut health, soil health, the microbiome nothing to do with getting shredded, but everything to do with getting shredded. Right. Yeah. And so I watched that and I was like, this is the guy that wrote that book. I'm going to read it. And I read it. I did fill out all the questionnaires. Now that change planted a couple seeds. One, my recovery went through the roof. I had way less inflammation. All my old injuries seemed to vanish. You know, like I think of injuries and inflammation, like a volume meter, your master volume. And as you turn that down, they don't go away, but they're not talking to you as loud. Right. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's very fucking interesting. And that planted secondarily a seed for me. Like if this works from one book on diet, what does all the other shit do? And, you know, fighting, I wasn't Daniel Cormier or, or Cain Velasquez, a lot of the guys that I trained with at AKA when I moved home, I didn't have their skill set. I wasn't a fucking collegiate level wrestler. I didn't wrestle for the Olympic team. Um, 
And so I really couldn't spend my time playing video games. I had to spend my time learning. And so my second mountain was climbed during my fight career where I focused on anything that helped performance up. And it was all performance. It was, it was mobility. It was Wim Hof breathing. It was ice baths. It was mental, emotional shit. It was visualization with different forms of strength and conditioning. And then when I transitioned from fighting, it was all, how do I fucking fix TBI? How, what type, what's in the plant medicine world that I've been introduced to? How does that interrelate with it? How does fasting work for this? And then everything shifted to longevity. So what was great was I had, I had a boxing coach named Witsi, which is short for Witsi Lapoche, the, the uh, Aztec god of war and agriculture, the, the hummingbird god. He was awesome. He would take us out. He took me and Kane out for traditional sweat lodges. We did Tamas calls and things like that. For a couple of years, I, was, I just asked him like, hey, when are we going to use La Medicina? And he started fucking laughing hard and uh, basically <laughs> said he was waiting for me to ask. You know, And from there, he started introducing you know, different, different ceremonies with, with psilocybin mushrooms, magic mushrooms. And eventually ayahuasca, and that changed my total trajectory. When football ended, it was the lowest point of my life by far. And there was a lot of other factors there, but that 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 marked like easily the lowest point of my life. When fighting ended, it was like, cool, what do I want to do now? You know, like I had no, I had no, no problems with leaving the sport because of the journeys that I'd had with plant medicines. And, and it was like a reliable tool that I had to offer me greater insights into what I was actually desiring to learn. And you know, I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner now. I like to say that I, I get paid to learn and embody what I learn. So how do I take knowledge, which is a theory, and apply it to myself and then report back on that application and actually make that wisdom, you know? And so that's been a big part. Was inspired by guys like Tim Ferriss, who, you know, Ben Greenfield, self-purported guinea pigs, you know, masters of the N equals one experiment and willing to try almost anything, you know? And that's really what I've, where I've been since 2014 is just experimenting with myself seeing what works, tinkering with different nootropics, made supplements for a while at Onnit, got hooked up with Aubrey Marcus at Paleo FX event I was speaking at and totally hit it off. And, uh, you know, he invited me out to Burning Man. And next thing I knew, I was fucking at all my shit in a van moving out from Vegas <laughs> to, to, to Austin. We've been here since 2017. Um, when Aubrey stepped down as CEO, I got out of Onnit with him because I was kind of done making supplements and we wanted to just help people in a different way. So we've been working since then on something he's called fit for service, which is kind of our holy grail of kitchen sink, teach you everything we know, bring in other experts where we don't have maybe as, as deep a knowledge as they do. And that's been pretty fucking fantastic, you know, juggling that. That's yeah. a very, very fucking fast intro, but <laughs> bro, you're like, your, your, your life laid out like that just blows me away, dude, to see you now and to see how healthy you are and how happy you are and everything else. Like it could have easily gone a different way. And a lot of people it does. Right. And like they, they succumb to the vices and they succumb to the depression. And like, I love the, the objectivity you took in. I mean, you experienced your dark moments, but then you came out of them with objectivity and said, Hey man, like there's something more here for me. So it's beautiful, man. I appreciate you laying that out. Cause it's that range is just crazy. dude. Just a crazy range of experience. But one of the things I did want to mention, has anybody told you you could be Randy Couture's son? Like massive <laughs> tall son? Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. His son's actually smaller than him. I think he likes little ladies like I do. <laughs> well, my girlfriend, my girlfriend calls her 62180. I like them all. But you know, my, current, my wife, that'll be my wife till the end of days is 52115. So yeah, with a little one. Thankfully, our kids are fucking huge, believe it or not. They don't, That's they don't, wild. They took, they took the dominant gene of being tall. Yeah, Randy, I've gotten that so many times. And it's funny, like people think I'm Randy Couture. And I'm like, he's like 20 years older than me and two or three inches shorter. You know, like he's a side met him a few times. I don't think, 
he's not a fan of me from what I what I did on the Ultimate Fighter. He thought that he thought that looked bad for the sport, you know. And I, I can respect that. I didn't give a fuck when I did it. It was like, look, right. I gotta be here for six weeks. Let's have fun. And if yeah. they record it, they record it. They didn't air quite a few things that would have made him fucking a lot more jumpy than what did air. But um, <laughs> yeah, Randy, when people say that, I'm like, bro, he's like, I mean, somebody told me, asked me if I was Joe Rogan at Barton Springs. I was like, you realize Joe Rogan's fucking 5'10", yeah. right? Like he's significantly shorter. He's fucking <laughs> like to hear, like he's, he's like, we're two different people. Like, and, and he's also in his fifties. Like I just turned 41, but I'm just saying, you know, there's a difference between 40 and 50, 55. Like there's a big difference yeah. there. He's got 15 years on me. Oh yeah. Well, it's funny. Cause I, that's why I said Randy's son, definitely not Randy <laughs> Couture, but Randy's son. I, I would give you that. It's Most really people don't, don't say son, you know, they, yeah. or, they, or they say, I'll look like Vanderly Silva with down syndrome. And I'm like, nah, man, that's come fucked, on. That's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny, man. but no, yeah. For people that don't know, Kyle's like six, four. So massive human, like you're not a small person by any means, but no, that was the first question I had. The second question I had was, you know, when you were going through a lot of that darkness, would you say that you felt challenged more as like an evolving man when you couldn't play football or when you were at that breaking point when you were, you know, about ready to try to commit suicide? Like which one really challenged you more as like man and how you were developing in your own masculinity? It's t- it's tough to say, you know, like, like football was an outlet for me, you know, like knowing that that door shut and it slammed shut. It's it was shut before I even got to it. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. I knew guys when I was a junior, I watched guys that had started all four fucking years at ASU. And that's, that's something, right? You jump from high school to college it, to, to play receiver or quarterback from the jump. You got to be talented, but to mm-hmm. play defensive line for, as a true freshman, you got to be fucking huge and fast and strong and talented, right? And to have developed very early to, to be able to start as a true freshman. I watched guys that started all four years, not make it to the NFL. So the wow. running was kind of on the wall. And then, you know, not getting, not seeing maybe three plays a game tops, you know, my, my, the two years that I was there, but it didn't help. You know, it was easy to numb and, and party with all the boys. And I was well-respected and loved by my teammates. I still love all those, all those guys. They're fucking fantastic humans. And it was a great ride to go through with them. Um, one of the major factors, you know, was this, this, this woman I was dating in college. I, I had a sense, you know, like I, I would drink a lot and then be an obnoxious guy and think this is me, right? This is the, this is the fucking, this is the, the person everyone wants to see. This is the life of the party. And I know a lot of people that go through fucking 12 step programs have similar stories like that, having sat through them since I was a little kid. Um, but the truth is, I thought that was me, you know? So when that would push someone away, like, what the fuck, dude? This guy can't fucking hold his liquor. He's some kind of, he's fucking obnoxious. <laughs> um, I took that personally. Like, no, mm-hmm. I can't find someone to love me because every time I show them my real self, there's pushback. And mm-hmm. to a degree, that was true because, you know, that was me without filters. But that was also me on alcohol with no filters, right? That's not mm-hmm. fucking how I am now. I might say some stupid shit and crack jokes, um, <laughs> but it's all within the realm of my sobriety, right? Like there's no, yeah. it's not, it's not, it's not, you know, amplified. Right. So, um, uh, but that was a big factor. You know, I hadn't, she was my first long-term relationship and it was on and off again for a long time before we actually settled in and, and started to make it work. And 
that was a factor for me. You know, not feeling, I don't think a lot of it had to do with, with childhood shit, like not feeling as if I could ever was going to find the person of my dreams. And my parents divorced when I was 13. They weren't meant for each other. When they divorced, I was begging for it years ahead of time. My mom would bring up like, do you think I should get a divorce? And I'm like, yes, please. You guys aren't going <laughs> to fucking make it. Don't fucking hold on sooner. The better. Um, I have one sibling, my little sister's a year younger and it was really hard on her. Cause she's not like, what happens to us? if we're not a family anymore, like, how does that work? You know? And, and, and it really fucking weighed heavily on her. But for me, it was like, don't wait any longer. Like you guys need it. You're not going to fucking do this. And never having really seen what it looks like in a working family. Like I had friends that didn't get, you know, friends, parents that weren't divorced. They were still on fucking eggshells, you know, like they weren't happy together. They weren't doing it right. You know, and I finally saw that later on in college. It was, it was my girlfriend's parents where I was like, these guys seem happy together. They don't seem depressed. They don't seem, I don't feel like I'm on eggshells when I'm hanging out with them. And that was cool because it was a big lesson for me to see a working relationship where I had never seen it before in my whole fucking 20 some odd years prior to that. I didn't think it existed. So, and then in terms of being a man, you know, it's like, I didn't necessarily think of it in terms of masculinity. I understood, you know, I either had to run home from kids or sit, turn around and fight them if they were faster than me. Like I grown up in the Bay Area, it was kind of, it was, it's, it's a weird thing because it's all tech nerds now, you know, but when I was growing yeah, yeah. up, it was like, there's a lot of fucking blue collar. There's a lot of ghettos, a lot of, a lot of shitty, shitty areas. And you knew like, don't go to Eastside Palo Alto. Don't go to Eastside San Jose. Like, you just don't fucking go? You've got white skin. You don't fucking belong yep. there. And you could wind up going to the hospital, you know? So like there was areas you stuck out from, but then even in like the regular areas, like Cupertino, where Apple's from, and Sunnyvale, you know, like where Yahoo's from, shit would hit the fan. Like shit would hit the fan on a weekly basis, all the way up until they applied zero tolerance in high school, you know, zero tolerance meant like, if you got in trouble, if you, if you got in trouble for fighting, you were expelled from the school. And most people that was enough to put the brakes on, but I still had a few, a handful of fights in high school. So, I mean, I, I knew who I was as a man, as like a preliminary young version of what I thought manhood was at that point. Um, and it wasn't like I was at a crossroads there the, the, what do I want to do in the world is a big factor that men come across. Right. And, and how do I provide, how do I make a name for myself? How do I make money? How do I make my own way? That's not my parents' way. We all come across that. Even, even women who are working on the masculine side of themselves, they may come into that. Like we're in a different world now. It's not the same thing as like, you can't vote. You don't get to have a job. You don't get to read. You're not allowed at the stadium. All this shit's available now. Um, and there can be a lot of pressure around that. You know, so that really, you know, when it hit rock bottom, that was the whole thing that shattered was all the should do's, right? You got to should, you should be doing this. You should finish your degree. You should yeah. get a good job. You should do something that's, that's secure, that offers you a 401k and fucking family, medical and dental, all that shit vanished, you know, and when it vanished, then I really got to see what is it that I want to do now? You know, what, and, and starting with what was missing that led me to MMA and, you know, it's been a beautiful trajectory the whole way through, but I think that's a good point. You know, I, one of my biggest one of my biggest mentors right now is a guy named Mark Gaffney, um, who did a, a brilliant lecture on Audible called "The Erotic and the Holy," and he talks about eros as like this divine allurement, like and first principles of the cosmos. So from the subatomic all the way up to the cosmic, you have this attraction factor that's taking place that's based on desire. It's based on allurement. And yeah. without knowing it then, that's what I followed. I looked at what was missing that I needed because it was the thing that I, that drove me. You know, like, how, how could I show up every game knowing I was 
Christmas at the bench because I still got to fucking train three days a week with these guys. I still got to put my pads on and go against the starting team, the starting offense because I was a scrub. I played against the best guys on our team day in and day out and would fucking go hard. That's how I did it. You know, I got I got mm-hmm. to my games where the practices we had five days a week in the, in the strength training we had three days a week. So then without that, now it's like, I'm missing a lot. How do I, how do I rescrape that back and, and at least fill the gap of the thing that I know I need in my life? I know I still needed that in my life. And um, to this day, I still look for things like that, where there's some bit of camaraderie. I love working out, you know, with a group. I got the, the farm, you know, you mentioned before the podcast, maybe we'll dive into that towards the end, but everyone that's a part of that team, we train together on Tuesdays and we go box together on Friday. So we're lifting together Tuesdays at the farm outdoors. We go hit this black sheet boxing gym, little, little swag shirt on right now. Yeah. Um, you know, we still box occasionally. We spar, we do different drills, work with a great boxing coach. And that's something you don't get anywhere else, right? The punching bag doesn't hit you back. You don't see punches coming at your face from a fucking Everlast bag or from a Fairtex bag. <laughs> Unless you're really bad. And then <laughs> I'm yeah, you just, you're like my little daughter who pushes the bag and comes back. <laughs> and she's like, Get smacked hard. Well, I love that you mentioned the Eros energy. This is not something that we've really discussed t- terribly much on the show, but I, I have experienced it through a friend of mine, Kimmy Inch, who does a lot with Eros energy and through Tantra and through kink and all of these other things. But I love that you mentioned it. And I want to kind of dive into that a little bit for guys, because you're right. The Eros energy is very palpable and it's powerful in our lives, but we kind of disregard it. And a lot of times we put that to the side. Guys in particular, I believe, don't really have... Um, as much awareness to interact with it and then leverage that in their life. And like you said, you were following it. You just didn't know it. And so I wanted to kind of elaborate a little bit with you on that. Like, what does that look like for what you see in the everyday guy that you have brought out to some of the sacred hunts? Or what does that look like in the men that you're working with today in how they can start to recognize it and then potentially leverage that in their life? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It really is, you know, it's the thing that if you say yes to, it only leads to good places and it only leads to more good places. And, and it's the door that opens up more doors and more doors and more doors. So with that, you know, there is a difference between, you know, non-Eros desire. Like I want to fucking eat this bad food right now. That might be candida or parasites telling my brain, eat this shit food, right? That's not a genuine a genuine desire, but if there's a, there's a strong calling to do something to scratch an itch that I haven't met, met before, or haven't met in a long time. I got to listen to that, you know, and, and I had, a, I had a journey with ayahuasca right when I retired from fighting and it told me the exact same fucking model. I said, what do I do now? And it said, you don't need to worry about that. Just keep learning the things you're interested in. Just keep following your desires. Just keep reading the books you're interested in. All that other shit's going to work itself out. And it totally fucking did. Like it literally did a year to the day later. Um, Rogan hit me up to go on his podcast and I was like, oh, cool. Go on Rogan's <laughs> podcast. You know, it was like fucking talk fighting, ayahuasca, all the things, books, keto diets, fasting. And, uh, you know, he's like, start a podcast. And I was like, yeah, you say that to everybody. He's like, no, you got a lot to say. You should start a podcast. And then it took me another year to actually have the balls to do it. But when I said yes to that, like that's, that's led to more doors being open. So one of the things with desire is that it's, it's literally just getting, getting really clear with yourself. If you're able to listen to what's calling to you. Like, what is the thing that turns you on? You know, then, then, and saying yes to that and knowing like, does this, does this, our friend Anahata has a great way of wording things. Will this leave me more whole than when I started? Right. Mm-hmm. If, if I can answer yes, if this will leave me more whole than when I started, then it's a full fuck. Yes. If there's any no involved in that, like alcohol, for instance, great time that night, maybe not a great time the next day. 
You know, that's like, uh, that's my rule of thumb on good drugs and bad drugs right now. Is, is it, <laughs> if I feel great the next day, it's a good drug. If I feel like shit the next day, it's not a good drug. It's a bad drug. Oh yeah. Um, and that, and that's the case for, you can look at that, apply that model to fucking anything really. But um, for, for the desire factor, really getting clear on that, like, what is the thing that I'm desiring to do? And if I say yes to this, am I going to feel good the next day? Is it something that's going to be self-fulfilling as I continue to dive deeper and deeper into it? And um, most people don't do that. They don't live that way. They live in the should category. They live in the category of, I need to do this for X, Y, and Z. And everyone I know has told me the X, Y, and Z, and I, I know that X, Y, and Z well. So I'm going to hold that. And it's not something they actually want to do. It's a job they don't like. Um, Paul Chick actually does a great job of this. He explains the prostitute archetype. So in Caroline Mace's work, we have four, four sacred archetypes that, that are universal. The child, the prostitute, the saboteur, and the victim. Then we have eight other archetypes that we call in this go-around, or any go-around. We, we show up here. So eight are kind of floating. Four are universal. And these four survival archetypes, uh, the child could be a number of different, you know, nature child, divine child, wounded healer, those kind of things. Then you've got your prostitute and a victim and saboteur. How the prostitute works, all of these, you know, some of the victim, that's that's shitty, and saboteur, that's shitty. All these have a light side and a dark side. So the light side of the victim will show you this is this is how you end up losing the situation and not doing well, right? This is this is where you embrace the victim. And, and that's the light side. It's gonna show you how the thing fucking pans out incorrectly ahead of time. So you're not the victim, the light side and the shadow yeah. side with the prostitute. If you utilize the prostitute archetype correctly, I worked at a strip club the entire time I was fighting, bouncing, bartending, managing. I worked there two days a week. I didn't make any money when I was in the UFC. I fucking was broke in the UFC. Yeah. I just finally paid off the IRS from my fucking career in the UFC. Just wow. fucking this, this motherfucking year, dude, just fucking paid wow. them off because I had made a congratulations. Thank you. I'm fucking got that shit on the board up top there. <laughs> That's huge, dude. That's huge. I had, I had totally forgotten on one year, a $40,000 bonus from fight of the night and didn't pay taxes on that. And then got fucking hit hard because they don't forget things. So that's been paid back effectively, but damn it. Where was I here? Where the IRS ruined my thought training. Uh, you're talking about, you're, you're talking about the, uh, the prostitute in our lives. Prostitute archetype. So prostitute archetype. And, and at the strip club, there were girls that would go there that would dance as long as they could dance. Then when they were too old to dance, they'd become bartenders. Then when they were too old to become bartenders, they'd come into a management position. And the entire time, just taking the money in, it's easy money, spending it as it comes in, everything that comes in, there's no, there's no thought of the future. I'm gonna milk this and ride this train as long as I can. Prostitute archetype, incorrectly. Prostitute archetype, correctly, there's a series of women that, that danced, didn't wanna dance, but needed the money, got behind the bar, bartended, put themselves through fucking school, through nursing school, at Cal Berkeley, right? I watched this happen with three different fucking women who became nurses, wow. right? Registered nurses. And I was like, that's the fucking prostitute archetype used correctly, right? I got to witness this in my own life. And the way Paul Check explains that is you can have something you're doing that you're not enjoying as long as there's a means to an end. If it's providing a means to an end, like, hey, I'm going to suffer right now and stockpile. I'll take this money coming in because it's easy. And I'm going to actually devote a lot of my resources towards building this thing that's going to allow me to do what I want to do every day. Now you're using the prostitute archetype correctly. A lot of us don't even have the awareness about that archetype, what it fucking means and where we're at on that scale, right? Like we don't realize like yeah. when we're actually just happy with the money we have and drowning ourselves on the weekends, like fucking most people, right? Yeah. There's uh, <laughs> I've got nothing against sports, but there was a point in my life, you know, through plant medicines where I was like, football's dope but I don't feel a draw to watch every Sunday. 
you know, no. and I don't feel a draw to play Madden football on PlayStation three or four. You know, and I remember get buying a fucking one of the PlayStations and I bought Madden with it and I never opened it. And I was like, interesting. <laughs> like I used to have my whole life was video games, you know? Maybe. Yeah. And so like, there was just a time where that, that's not how I wanted to spend my time anymore. So I think if, if you get really clear on where you're at, where you're going, and then the best means of getting there, a lot of that is, is as simple as following your desire, if you don't know. Um, and then also understanding like, hey, this can't be a means to an end. And I can't keep numbing myself through fucking entertainment, football, fantasy football, fucking video games, porn, whatever the thing is. I can't stay in that. That's not going to be fulfilling. You know, it's one of the reasons why I've, I've got a lot of homies back home. They're great guys. I can connect to them on many levels. They're, they're all funny as shit. And they're all doing the same fucking thing. Year after year, who's in the fantasy league? Who's playing golf this weekend? And it's like, I guess it's like, you know, y'all can't see it because you're in it, you know? Yeah. They're too close to it, you know? So I think a lot of people become comfortably numb, you know? So really, when you, when you have something that allows you to step back, you know, Eckhart Tolle talks about this observer model of consciousness where you pull yourself back a layer and you're no longer your thoughts. You're the witness to the thing happening to you. Right. When you can come into an observer from deep meditation, through breath work, through a float tank or from psychedelics in the correct set and setting. That allows you to kind of take an, an observer's look at everything happening in your world. Like if you pulled yourself out of your body and out of your world and look down and watch yourself third person, be like, interesting. I do that a lot. Interesting. I have this habit. Oh, interesting. Like you start to see things about how your life is constructed, the relationships that you have, the communication style that you have. And you might not like it. And that's OK. Like whatever is standing out to you. That's okay to witness it as that allows you to actually make some change. If you're staying in the fucking grind nine to five, Monday through Friday, and then get shit faced on the weekends, you're never going to see it. Happy Memorial Day, everyone. As you may know, I am a veteran, and not only do I support our military, I support all of those who gave their lives in defense of this flag and our way of life. In that respect, I am offering one person the opportunity to work with me one-on-one -on -one for six months. You heard that right? One of you will get six months of coaching valued at $10,500 for free. What does that include? Well, you're going to receive one 60-minute coaching call per month where we go over your lifestyle optimization, mindset, habits, struggles, and everything in between. You're also going to receive six months of a curated workout routine based off of my personal fitness regimen, which is of Spec Ops Pedigree. You'll receive a 45-minute Q&A call every month as well with the other people in my fitness community, and you will get access to the fitness and mindset community so that you can have others you can connect with. I am honestly very honored to offer this up for Memorial Day gift. And I look forward to seeing who is going to win this amazing full scholarship. That means you get it for free. Make sure you click the link in the show notes and apply today so you can give yourself an opportunity to get six months of free coaching with me. Yeah. And I love that you said gauging, like to help find that desire, help find that eros. It's like, hey, gauge it whether that activity is going to make you more whole later or tomorrow, or if it's not. And I think that's a beautiful way of putting it that guys can really have a tangible takeaway right there in every moment before they're going to act. That's a question that they can give themselves. And I love that. And the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, because we find a lot of guys and, you know, obviously it's the art of masculinity. So I'm focusing on men, but a lot of people, but I find a, even women, but 
majority men I see today are love to play maybe more so because they're trained to play this, but play that martyr of like, well, Kyle, I got to sacrifice everything. I'm expected to sacrifice. So what is it for me to even want desire? Right. Or like, is that effeminate for me to want desire or is that selfish? Like, how about that shit? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, we want to optimize the self. Uh, we all have masculine and feminine and, and some of us turn off the feminine, but feminine is, you know, we all have yin and yang, right? But what, what is the yin? How does the yin operate in a male body? It operates the same way in the fucking female body. It's the listening. It's the receiving, right? It's the quiet center, right? And if I'm not, I'm not engaging with that part of myself, it's very hard to get clarity because now I'm in doing, either doing all day long instead of being, I can't push pause or my mind is ravenously doing, even if I'm fucking sitting here, if I'm constantly talking like I am right now or writing or reading, taking something in, that's only masculine, right? If I can't push pause on that, there's no, there's no way to see beyond the periphery. There's no way to see what's happening from a deeper layer of layer of understanding that only happens through the listening that happens in the feminine and plant medicines are great at teaching you that, you know, there's, there's a sweet surrender that can happen with ayahuasca and there's a fucking stern grandma whip your ass force surrender. And, and you get it either way, right? That's the beautiful thing is that you can take this and a friend had told me, you know, all these, all these medicine, all these, how did she wear this? All of the rememberings that are going to take place while you're here happen through grace. You decide what flavor it is. It's Layla Martin, sex expert, fucking rat. <laughs> Super cool. So all this stuff's going to happen through grace. You're going to get it no matter what, basically. You decide if it's spicy. You decide if it's fucking palpable. You decide if it's sweet, right? And that's so true. Like how we, how we come to accept what is, how we come to surrender into the flow of what's happening and the flow of our experience in life and the flow of our experience on a psychedelic medicine and the flow of our experience in a float tank, whatever the case is, the more we give into that, which is feminine and allow, being a state of allowing, the easier that is to move through us. And the only way through is to go fucking head first, right? The Native American buffalo wisdom is one of my favorite, favorite ideas. You know, like the buffalo doesn't run from the storm. It knows the fastest way through is shoulder to shoulder with the herd head first in the fucking storm. That's the fastest way out is to go straight in, right? And the same goes for our fear. The same goes for our lifestyle design. The same goes for a deep and honest review of what's working and what isn't. Like you got to fucking look at it. And when you can do that objectively with the help of an altered state of consciousness, that certainly allows us a deeper view of what's happening. But it is, it is actually sitting with that. It is actually surrendering to it. It is actually all these feminine practices that allow us to say, fill me up with what, what I'm hiding from. Fucking let me feel it all right now. You know, and then through that, we can say, okay, cool. How do I want to change going forward? Yeah. And the, the, as you're pointing towards plant medicine too, incredibly powerful stuff. And I've used quite a bit of it on my own. And to break down the barriers of the ego that typically block us from receiving all of this that you're talking about and kind of accepting it, that it's, it's an assist in doing that. So you then can allow those things to happen in your body, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and no one thing heals you completely. There's no fucking no. I went, I went to, I went to Saltar for a week, and I'm perfect now. Like, there's no person I know that can that can say that. I'm, I'm a shaman, um, actually. <laughs> I do see that, unfortunately, but uh, a lot more than yeah, I need yeah. to see. But but yeah, you know, like people who keep their head on straight know that you're just peeling layers of the onion. You know, and it's, it's little by little. And as it as the medicine, it has its own intelligence, which is hard for you know, scientific Americans to wrap their heads around, you know, science, scientism, people in that field. 
when when we can come to terms with that, that it actually does have its own intelligence and that it, that intelligence is working with our intelligence to know the exact moment at which we can go through something, the exact moment at which we're ready to take a look at some things that we maybe don't want to look at, we can, we can be in a state of receptivity for that as well. And that can accelerate the process. But point being, always, there's always shit to work on, right? And what yeah. makes me a better person is saying yes to the things that need to be worked on. It's saying it's actually not avoiding it or looking away from it, right? King Arthur, fucking great, great fucking movie with uh, the one guy, Richie. Yeah. You know, the difference between a king and a non-king is the king doesn't look away, right? That's yeah. fucking it, dude. The mage says that. The king doesn't look away. It's so fucking true, right? That, that's a big part as we embrace our own king, warrior, magician, lover. When we, when we step into the fullness of being a man, you don't look away. And that doesn't mean you fight the thing you see. It might mean just fucking allowing the thing, which is a feminine aspect. The man must fucking embody if you want to be a full man. Oh, dude, that's such a mic drop moment right there. I fucking loved that last spiel, man. Guys are going to, I think that one's going to hit. That's going to be a a right hook from Kyle Kingsbury right there for most dudes. Hearing that and realizing that coming from a guy like yourself saying that is is powerful because I think that most guys think if you stare it down, you gotta, you're supposed to engage it, but you're like, no, bro, sometimes you just gotta let it happen, man. And that's kind of the power in that. That's beautiful, bro. Well, dude, as we're, we're kind of like rounding out here, man, this has been fucking amazing conversation, by the way. And obviously you have done a lot to boost your intellect and intelligence and be a well-rounded man. You said something earlier that I really wanted us to take a little look into as well, because I had this same trouble when I came out of special operations and I came back home from being overseas. I really struggled with wanting to pick up a book and be like, oh, I can still learn, right? Like, what was, what can we talk to guys about to say, hey, man, I get it. You think you're an alpha in life. You think you've learned everything. But like, guys, this being adaptable and being able to build your intellect and intelligence is a, is a powerful tool. What can we share with guys on that? Cause I see a lot of guys still fight that you even mentioned, you have friends that are like, they still won't do that. They believe in that mentality. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a couple of things. One, like, are you a finished product? Right. And how you answer that matter. That's right. If you think you're a finished product, you are, you're finished. You're not going to fucking continue to grow. <laughs> you're continue to learn. You will be a finished product. That may not, that's probably not a good thing. Right. Secondly, you know, we, we, we have the archetype of the hermit. Sometimes we need to just go into a cave and be who the fuck we are right now. And we need to section ourselves off from everything so that when we return to society, we are renewed with vigor. We're renewed with a desire to be there. We're renewed with a desire to learn something new. If that desire is snuffed out, look into it, feel into it, and allow that to be your state of being right now. Don't shoo it off. It's there for a reason, right? And with a little investigation and inner work, we can find like, what's prevent, preventing me from wanting to do more, right? Because that, that's, a, that's a true feeling where we, we can come to a place in our lives where we reject anything new because everything we've been fucking told is horseshit. You know, everything we've been taught as a kid about what's going to amount to success and happiness and all the other things, you're just like, none of that was fucking real. Why do I need to fucking keep digging further? This is all bullshit. And that's an important piece to cross, right? It's the refusal in a, in a hero journey, right? The hero's journey, Joseph Campbell, you've got these 12 sacred steps. One of them is, fuck this, I'm not doing it, right? So like that, that refusal of wanting to grow, wanting to learn, wanting to take the mantle, that's an important piece. It's in there for a fucking reason, right? You gotta, you gotta actually live that piece and then come out the other side of that saying, what do I wanna do now? You know, Scrooge has to see the fucking, the ghost of Christmas <laughs> past, the ghost of Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas future in order to change, right? He's gotta go through hell and back and then say, fucking life is awesome. How can I change who I am? 
how can I be in resonance with everyone around me? And how can I say yes to what is, right? If I can take my resources and help with other things, just be a part of it in a different way. Um, you know, to truly see the world with new eyes, to be reborn, that takes some death, you know, and that can happen through plant medicines. It can happen through hardship. There will be many deaths before we die. That's guaranteed, you know? So like how we, how we accommodate that and accept that actually changes what we do coming out of it. You know, if we go into the cave and it's poor me, I'm in the fucking cave. That's a whole different experience than like, fuck yeah, I'm in the cave. Let's see what's here. And then we come out on the other side knowing now the fucking light's back. Now the brightness is back. Now I get to experience everything that I want to experience. And I'm not going to have that directed by somebody else. It's going to be directed by me. Yeah. And that's that it right there. The experience, like that's what you get to choose to have in life. And I think there's so many guys dulling themselves from having that experience. This is the only life we, we cognitively know about, right? Like that we are aware of. And it's like, we're detracting ourselves from that by saying, Hey, I'm not going to learn. I'm not going to grow. So therefore I don't even have the receptors to experience more in life. I love that you put that out there. And so also when you have come from the life you led, you've transitioned to this man. I don't even, I can't even put like a label to it. Cause it's really not. I, what I see you as is this, you know, greatly well-rounded man. You've experienced a life where you're tapping into your self-power. You're looking at who you are objectively. You're embracing mysteries. You're also looking at the world in a way that you can conducively participate, you know, with it and cohesively with it. And that comes from this connection with, you know, alluded to it a little bit in the show, but like the indigenous cultures, the way of life, you know, being part of the plant and the plant and animal ecosystem with us, right? You've transitioned into this in your life. And we talked, we mentioned a little bit about the farm. Where did this come into place? And what has this done for you to expand even who you are today? Yeah, there's still, well, there's a few people to acknowledge. One, we see, you know, my first, my first medicine man um, really was, was teaching me these things, you know, alongside Kane and anybody else that say yes to coming to the sweat lodges. And, and it was only a matter, really only a matter of a couple of years before he started working with plant medicines, which, you know, in, in the short history before he passed away, like he taught me so much, you know, and he, he really turned that switch on. There's a fantastic book by John Lamb Lash called Not in His Image. And it's on marrying the Gnostic teachings of Nag Hammadi with a deep ecology or what Gaia theory, you know, what we call about an awake and aware planet, a living sentient being that we're all a part of. Right. And, and, uh, you know, there's many ways to understand that. Like there was a, there was a, an old uh, cartoon thing of two microbiomes, microbiota walking around inside someone's gut. And uh, the guy sits down on a microvilli and he's like, Hey, careful, man, that thing's alive. And he's like, this thing is fucking not sentient. It's stupid. Right. <laughs> so and so it, it's just great. You know, like a little, little inward peak at the fucking outward peak. Um, for all we know, it's like, the end of men in black and it just fucking zooms out, zooms out, zooms out, zooms out. And it's just fucking yeah. creature after sentient creature after sentient creature. Who the fuck knows? Um, but I, I, damn it. I just lost my train of thinking here. Oh, no you're caffeine. going, you're going with how I was asking how that like you're like kind of inclusion. Into Indigen, yeah, exactly. Okay. I got it. I got it. Yeah. So, so that, that book is fucking fantastic. And it explains a lot of, of where I've been heading. It talks about how all cultures have been indigenous. Even European cultures were indigenous. The ancient Celtics were some 1,500 tribes, and they lived tribally, and they worshipped Mother Earth. They worshipped, that used to be looked down on, you know, savages who worshipped the Earth and the sun and the moon. 
and they worship the divine that they saw in reality, in this reality. You know, that's a big fucking deal. When you reconnect to something as deep as ayahuasca, terms like animism actually make sense, right? That everything I'm looking at is animated with the same substance I have. Whatever soul is behind this physical body, it's pervading fucking everything. It's in the oak tree. It's in the ayahuasca vine itself. It's in the fucking grass. It's in the dirt that's underneath the grass. It's in fucking all of it. And, um, you know, that can cause you to name all the different deities, the deity of the wind, the deity of the sun, the deity of all these things. Or you can just say, this is all fucking conscious. It's all aware and it's all somehow intelligent. And that's a fundamental shift. It's a shift to your reality, right? As far as the indigenous wisdom is concerned, there's another great guy named Martin Prechtel. And Martin Practical has written a number of books. One of my f- favorites is The Unlikely Peace at Kuchumakik. And it talks about humans as seeds. And it's pretty fucking remarkable the way that the indigenous wisdom of the Mayan and Mayan culture in Tutu Hill, Guatemala, understood the reality. So there's, there has been a draw to this, which was really impregnated probably before Huiti, but then a lot since Huiti. And since my work with, with different plant medicines and different indigenous cultures, but it's that understanding that there is more to the game than we've been told. There's more to the game than the religions we were brought up on. And, and these, there's ways to poke holes in this, right? Like I can take, take these understandings into a medicine journey and actually test them. Can I see if this works or not? Do I, can, I, can I verify walking by a tree if it's conscious or not? You know, I've had fucking experiences on ayahuasca where I was like, there's no question. There's absolutely no question. Yeah, once I was walking back from the restroom and I heard feed me whispered in my ear, feed me. And I jerked my right, my right, my right. Uh, I turned right, right over my right shoulder and fucking vomited profusely onto this fucking tree. And I remember collapsing and shaking like, holy shit, did you just talk to me? I'm fucking again. And I was like, whoa. And I remember talking to the, the curandero after that. And he's like, yeah, the tree can't, the tree couldn't break the ayahuasca down if you poured it on it. It needs you to break it down. And then regurgitate it, la perga, so that it can absorb it. And I was like, no shit. Wow. It was pretty fucking <laughs> mind-blowing. And without those experiences, you know, for anybody who has, doesn't have those experiences, it sounds batshit crazy, right? But all those experiences, yeah. you understand it viscerally. Like, it's, it's undeniable. Um, so I think there is there is more there. You know, Paul, Paul Chex did teach me a lot about him. He's been talking about, he'd wear shirts like, I love dirt. And soil, soil shirts fucking 20, 30 years ago, way before there was a fad on any of this shit. People even understood what it was. Um, his book really does speak to, you know, from a very practical way, it's a health book, right? How do you go be healthy? Now he's taking everything he's learned and he's, he's bridging that into spirituality in his next book, series of books, I should say. But those were all seeds that were planted, you know? And as I became healthy, I won healthier and healthier food. We became homies with the guys at Rome Branch. They have a 1,500-acre bison farm that's regenerative out in Fredericksburg, Texas. Yeah. They sell as force of nature products and whole foods and sprouts. They're an exceptional company. And, you know, as we started homesteading on 118 acres, I hit those guys up and they're like, oh, you know, what are you going to keep? And I told them which animals we wanted. They set us up with some of the best guys in the state as far as who to right. get stuff from. And that, you know, that's what's beautiful about these things is that one door opens and there are two or three more doors that open up right behind it because of the saying yes to the desire. You know, as I've wanted a deeper relationship with the land, largely through plant medicine and indigenous wisdom, that's been made available to me simply by saying yes to it, simply by agreeing, mm-hmm. okay, this is something I'm going to work on. The fucking, I don't have 30 years of experience in this stuff, but the elders and the people who do have 30 years experience in these things, they show up magically, they fucking appear. And I'm always surrounded by people that know more than me in the fields that I want to learn. And that's a pretty important thing. Like you don't have to know it all. You're already connected to everybody else. There's no, 
one of the medicine journeys I had in 2021, as I was really wrapping my head around the, the daunting task of having to learn all this shit, was there's no such thing as six degrees of separation. You know, like the, the six degrees of separation exists on a material plane, but there's only one. There's only one. We are one. Right. So with yeah. that being one, you tap into that consciousness. The exact person you need at the exact time is going to show up in your life. And that's fucking happened so many times since I started working on that. Um, you know, it's just, it's just undeniable. So like with that, and it's kind of like, whether you believe you're right or you're wrong, you are correct. correct. You know, if you believe that world doesn't operate that way, it's not going to operate that way for you. Um, Robert Anton Wilson, you know, in his book, Cosmic Trigger, he calls that, he calls that re I don't believe in reality. I believe in realities and everyone has their own reality tunnel and your reality tunnel will verify its efficacy. It's going to show you and maybe some things that are off based on what you believe in that reality tunnel, but a lot of it will be self-verifying. It's going to show up and you'll be like, ha, I knew it. Ha, I knew it. So why not create a reality tunnel that actually is functional for you and for everything else around you? Does this leave me more whole than when I started? And can I stretch myself to the self of my inner kingdom, my family, my tribe, all of humanity, all of the cosmos? If I can sing that song, the fourfold, vault of, fourfold song of Solomon, and stretch what I consider to be self outward, and now I still treat the world as, does this leave me more whole than when I started? Now I'm working on the benefit of all. and. You know, one of one of Aubrey's great mentors who I got to work with before he passed, Don Howard Lawler, we'd always say that, para el bien de todos, for the good of all. Like, that's what you do it for, for the good of all. And when you think about the work in regenerative agriculture, it literally impacts everything better. Everything is left better. The soil is better. The carbon sequestration is better. No matter where you fall in that line, fucking it's storing more carbon and that feeds the plants. The soil is better. The microbiome changes. The organic content that's in your food changes. It's better for you. The animals that eat the grass is better grass for the animals, which makes the animals better that you eat. All the shit goes back into one glorious cycle, the way it should be when we treat things in right relation. So does this leave me more holding when I started? You can apply that to the self that is Kyle Kingsbury or the entirety of the whole self. And when you start working in that way for the good of all, really fundamentally shifts you know, why you're here and what you're doing. And is that what you guys are all doing out at the farm right now? You guys doing regenerative farming? You yeah, we're, up- we're learning. Yeah, we're learning from the best. We've got we've got coaches from like Daniel Griffith. He's been on my podcast. He's an Alan Savory hub out in Virginia. One of the coolest dudes in regenerative agriculture. Chad Johnson, who worked under Sepp Holzer. Sepp Holzer's on the Mount Rushmore of permaculture. He built oases in the Saharan desert. He's growing citrus trees outdoors at 6,000 feet elevation at the base of the Alps in Austria. No greenhouses. Like he's changing, literally changing microecology and microclimates that he's creating Whoa. that allow him to grow whatever the fuck he wants. So he can, <laughs> you can do that anywhere, right? That means it applies. It's not just some guy who spent six months in Costa Rica and learned permaculture. Like you can do a lot there. You could fucking spit a seed out and it'll grow a fucking tree next yeah. year. That's not going to work in Texas. It's not going to work in Minnesota. What Sep has proven is like, I can do this in a desert and I can do this at altitude in the snow. And that's a really important thing. You know, when you start drawing from these people and some of their descendants who have continued to expand upon their work, like Chad or Daniel, it makes a big difference because now we get to learn from somebody who made it their life's work studying under this great teacher and they're accessible to us. They're accessible to you. They're accessible to anybody who's listening. And it doesn't have to just be regenerative agriculture. It's anything you want it to be. There's going to be somebody who studied Rudolf Steiner their whole life and, and apply it in their own way. And then you're like, I want to learn Steiner. He's dead, but this guy's alive. This girl's alive. And she's been working on Steiner shit for 40 years. Let me link up with her and see what she can teach me. So we've been, we've been mentored from some of the best in the game. And that's made it, um, it's made it a hell of a lot easier to do a very challenging, but rewarding thing. 
Oh man, that's freaking awesome. Now, are you guys, how big is the farm? And then are you guys just doing stuff for your own community or are you guys opening this up other people outside of the community? Like, what does that look like in your guys' impact on the world and what you guys are, are trying to bring forward? Yeah, we, there was a guy, you know, a lot's changed in the last three years. And that was a, <laughs> that was a big influence on us wanting to grow our own food. I'll just leave it at that without diving down the rabbit hole. <laughs> um, but, but, um, uh, one of the guys that watched a lot before he got ripped off out of the human ecosystem was a guy that went by Ice Age Farmer mm. on YouTube. And I think his videos have all been pulled down. But one of the things he said that really fucking hit home, like ringing my soul's bell, bong, was we have to become producers. And all that means is we produce more than we consume. So whatever it is, we produce at a surplus that's more than we consume. That way we are able to share locally. Um Anything you've looked at, like Vaclav Havel was a guy who went to jail. He went to prison for four years when the Soviets invaded Czechoslovakia. When he came out, he became president of the fucking country. And okay. one of the reasons they avoided a communist takeover might be important for us to know. One of the reasons they avoided a <laughs> communist takeover was they built parallel systems in place. And they allowed people, they strengthened their communities locally. There's nothing wrong with any of these things, whether we have to worry about communism or not. There's nothing ever bad about strengthening communities locally. There's nothing ever bad about working on barter so that I can access things regardless of what the government says. I can still access fucking milk. If the grocery store is closed, I need to feed my kids, right? And if I have access to that rent more than I need, I can give access to those all around us. That's what we're doing. So we're, we don't want to bite off more than we can chew. We're starting small and working our way up. And we have a fairly fucking awesome team thanks to Aubrey's support. And uh, we're just growing it and seeing what we can turn into. But, but um, you know, as of now, we're going to have probably 32, 32 cattle on the land. It's 118 acres. We have a nine-acre food forest that's 400 fruit and nut trees, 1,000 plants total went in the ground, all perennial. We're doing our, um, our market garden this year, which will be all annuals. Then we'll rotate those annuals year after year, holster style, tubal culture, and some other really cool things. And then... You know, there's room to expand within that nine acres. We're only using about half of it right now. And we've got 36 hens. We're going to grab uh, another 100 chicken and 20 ducks, all egg layers. And, you know, we're, we're, we consume a lot of fucking eggs. You know, the staff is all fucking dudes that look like me. And we're boxing and lifting weights. So we eat a lot of eggs in-house. But this, this next 100, we know that that satisfies us. So let's get another 100 chickens. That way we can actually go into stores. And there's a really cool organic local grocer in Lockhart called Good Thing. Mm. So we sell them a lot of our produce, whatever we have that's extra. You know, we've had fucking hundreds of pounds of squash and zucchini and cucumbers and shit. Like, we're not going to go through all that. You know, even if you get a yeah. giant fucking tub to make pickles, we're not going through with all that. So yeah. <laughs> we found a great place to sell that. And, then, and that still comes in at a cheaper price to the consumer than you would get, you know, if you're buying shit at Whole Foods, much cheaper there. So that's yeah. been a really cool thing to, to build community and to have access. Um we truly are just getting started, you know, and there's, there's a lot of things that we're going to continue to do to work with the land, whether that's doing some type of testing on structured water. Like we have grow group A and grow group B, the grow group A gets structured water. The grow group B does not. That's a wow. test we're going to be running in the field with Ana Lemma and a few of our other homies that are in that field. And then, um, yeah, biodynamics, that's a fucking, that's, that's a whole wormhole, you know, through, through Rudolf Steiner that we're just getting started with in the very basic level that I know we're going to continue to unfold with and really dive into deeply. So there's a lot to learn, but yeah, the basics are, we, we, you know, this is something that's greater than, than just for the people that are involved. We do want to include people 
we do have a lot of people every every year in fit for service. We have our first event there, our first core event. We have three core events a year. The first one is always at the farm. So 200, 250 people will get to show up, put them through breath work, cold plunges, all the different things. We had Peter Crone speak, Dr. Kelly Brogan, Boyd Vardy, who wrote the Lion Tracker's Guide to Life. All these people were there for this, for this event here in spring. We float around, you know, we're doing a lot of the big sky country the next few years for our summer event, going to Montana this year, Wyoming next, nice. I think. And then we finish off the year at Arms Ranch in Sedona. And Sedona's a fucking powerhouse place. So it's been it's been a really cool ride. And I just love the fact that, you know, every year after year, the people that keep coming back, they get to see the change. You know, there's very few things in life that you do that have the power of growing something. Like you have kids, you watch them grow and you're like, I fucking did that, you know, and I hope I did a good job. You see your trees in the backyard are they diseased infested or are they fucking well taken care of? When people come and look at your trees in your lawn, you're like, damn, dude, what are you doing here? Right? This looks yeah. great. Even on our 10th of an acre while we're building our house out there, you step into my backyard and it's a fucking, it's an, it's an oasis, right? And that that just takes just, just wanting the desire to want to do better. Like what, should, what can we plant? It'll give us some privacy. All right, cool. What can we, what do we like to eat that we should have more of? Cool. Let's put some apples in, put some plums in. What's good for the pollinators? Let's get some crepe myrtle. The whole tree flowers twice a year. Awesome. Right. So you can, you can start to uh, figure out what that looks like. And all of a sudden you got hummingbirds coming nearby. All of a sudden you got butterflies on your front porch, you know, and it, it just happens very quickly. So that's, that's been a, always a hobby of mine. That's now an extra job and yeah. I love it just as much, you know, the weight of it is more, but I love it just as much as the day I started. And that continues to give me so much more than, than many of the other things that I do. And many of the other things I do at this point in my life are super rewarding but they don't compare to the connection with the land. Dude, that's so, so special. And I think for everybody listening right now, you can just see how well-versed you are in this subject and something you didn't actually grow up with, which is really cool. And everything that you, I will say this, everything you have become and the, the evolutions you've had throughout your life is very inspiring, not only to me, but I'm sure a lot of men who are going to listen to this episode are going to be like, holy crap. Like knowing where Kyle started, like hearing what you started with at the beginning of this episode to where you are now talking about, you know, the farm and the horticulture and everything else you guys have going on. It's like, wow, this is, that's, it's inspiring. So I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate you so much. We're wrapping up here, but you mentioned fit for service. Can you let everybody know where to find you, how to best connect with you, how to support you? And then the stuff that you got going on, like fit for service and your podcast, obviously Kyle Kingsbury. Yeah. Yeah. Podcast was the honor podcast. It's just the Kyle Kingsbury podcast. Now that was, that was good to transition. I could talk about whatever the fuck I want to talk about. So that, that certainly is helpful. Um, and we do, you know, thankfully I'm, I'm my own boss, just like you're your own boss of the show. So that, that makes a big yeah. difference. And then gardeners of Eden.earth, that's our farm. You can find out when we have educational summits like this weekend coming up. We got Permaculture 101. We're going to be doing a lot of cool shit. We found a, an amazing third generation cheesemaker from Venezuela who is just Holy fucking rad, a rad dude. Lives down the street from us. Um, we go to the same dairy farm in Schulenburg, about 90 minutes southeast to here. That's just an old... 50 fucking year generational family farm that works with Jersey cows, the very best raw milk you can find. And that's what he makes his cheese from. Our whole family's on that raw milk. It's fucking incredible. So we'll be doing some stuff with him. We got a good buddy named Jared Holmes who does all the field harvest at Fort Rome Ranch. When they do a community field harvest, they'll take down a whole bison and you get to participate in that. You can field dress a fucking bison, which is like nothing else. Like it doesn't matter if you hunt whitetail you know, like yeah. every fall. It's a whole different experience getting on a bison. And then you get to eat that, right? So Jared, we're going to do two day things where we have a field harvest, 
on one of our animals. It might be a sheep, might be a cow. And then the next day, we'll take some older dry aged meat. We'll actually have a pemmican making workshop where we make Native American beef jerky with the exact animal that we have. We've got a few exotics like red stag. We're going to wait for those populations to grow in numbers. And then when they're around 20, 30 deep, then we'll start to harvest those each year and make pemmican with them. So, so there's some really cool shit that we're going to have have up there you can find that garters of eden.earth and um from an educational standpoint volunteering all that shit's up there if you guys just want to come see it be a part of it and then fitforservice.com you know we have our core event which is basically one group of people that sticks with us for the whole year and a wait list to sign up for next year in between that though we run immersives which has been a really fun thing that aubrey had an idea for like what if we just do one-offs with smaller groups of people and we'd be a little bit more intimate and actually take them through something deeper we couldn't do with 200 people. So the first download I had around that was actually during one of Anahata's soul wanders in Sedona. And, you know, I've been talking about fasting and fucking Kelly stress mobility and hot and cold therapy forever. I'm like, let's actually do that every fucking day. Let's fast with a small group. We do the fasting mimicking diet. Where we have basically a 1000 calorie shake each day, mostly fat. And we're in the sun and the ice bath every single day. We're doing Kelly Shred and Aaron Alexander's mobility, just opening up channels of the body, digging deeper and deeper. I brought my brother, Eric Godzian, who's one of the mainstay coaches at Fit for Service to really work. He's a Jungian analyst. He's going to really work with people on goal attainment, journaling practices, and understanding symbology in your dreams, as well as in psychedelic visionary states. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of play there that people get in five days. And it's a ceremony in and of itself, you know, with a very smart group of people. So we run that a couple of times a year. Just check fitforservice.com. And if you want to get with me, you can find me there or anybody else, you know, we run a lot of cool shit from relationship workshops, to female only groups to our first male only group. There's a lot of cool things going on there. That's awesome, brother. So much going on, bro. I don't know where you find the time to be honest. Like, <laughs> That's wild, dude. You must be living on multiple planes of existence at this point, man. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Manhattan. I got to fucking multiply myself. <laughs> I love it, bro. Well, man, before I cut you loose here so you can get on with your day, my last question for you is, What does the art of masculinity mean to you? I think the art of masculinity is a lot like, it's a lot like enlightenment. You know, it's, it's, there, there is no end point, right? It's non-binary. There's no point where, where you've mastered self-mastery, right? There's no point where you're like, I fucking did it. I died today and I had self-mastery. I had made it, I crossed the finish line. There's certainly no point where you're alive, hopefully, where you're not like, I fucking (laughs) did it. Self-mastery is attained. And the reason for that is all of all of the things that we do to acquire self-mastery, to acquire a better understanding of our own masculinity, they require practice. So these these practices, there's one of my favorite books that I didn't mention today is a book called The Easy Strength, which fucking every dude on here and every female listening should be should be training with. Get that book on Kindle, or if you want to buy the actual copy for a hundred bucks, it's worth it. It's out of print. Paul Tatsulin and Dan John, one of the things they say is you don't strength train to burn calories, you don't strength train for a workout. It's a practice. It's a practice of movement, right? And the more I practice that movement, I'm greasing the groove on the thing that makes me better, that allows me to move better, right? I'm training the brain to go through that motor pattern better. And if we can apply that to every aspect of ourselves, like how do I push zero? Where's my stop button on fuck? Everything's riling me up. Do I use the breath as the tool? Do I use meditation as a tool? Is there a mantra? What is that thing that just goes, take me to zero? Right. We got to have that. All of these things from meditation to strength training are a practice. And self mastery is a practice, right? It's a practice that's ongoing and never really ends. The art of masculinity is the same thing, right? If I truly want to be the best version of myself as a man, that requires me learning more and applying that. It requires that I don't just learn it and fucking toggle with it in the etheric mental space, but actually apply it to myself. So I have real world wisdom 
around what it means to embody the thing that I'm speaking of. And, and then I can translate to people by experience, N equals one. That's all we can ever mm. do, right? If I can have, have some experience that matters to me and I translate that, it's a hell of a lot better that I've done ayahuasca almost 30 times and I talk about ayahuasca than if I had done it zero times or one time, right? <laughs> so same deal goes for it, right? What is the practice that I have lead me to being humming a better version of myself. So art of masculinity, I think flows with that. It's like enlightenment. It's like, uh, it's like self-mastery, you know, it's something that is never ending. And it's something that the more I practice with it, the better I become at it. And to, to live that is an art. It's like a martial art. I love that brother. Really well said. And obviously just flowed right out of you. So I know it's very true to who you are and how you live your life, man, dude. I'm so grateful for you, Kyle. Thank you for showing up on the show. Thank you for showing up the way that you do in life and how you teach people and always just being authentic to who you are nowadays, man. Truly grateful for that. Truly grateful watching you grow and, and be this man today. And then to everybody listening, as always, remember to drop the ego and stay humble. <laughs>